Welcome to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Kelly. And I'm Dermot. Before we get into today's episode, there's a new post up on the Blooms and Barnacles blog. So if you want to read something that I did rather than just listen to me, um, there's a new post up called White Thy Fambles, Red Thy Gan. Do you remember what it's about, Herbert? It's about Irish travelers and the sometimes confusion between them and Romani gypsies, because many people think they're the same thing. They're not. They're very different. Right. So we're ta- it's about the cockle pickers that Stephen sees and how he imagines that they are gypsies, but they're not. Mm. Um, so there's there is some discussion of that, but really it's about... Um, secret thieves language from the 17th century. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, if you're a Ulysses fan, you probably know the passage I'm referencing in Proteus, and it is just nonsense. If you honestly would just like to know what that means, you can read our post and find out. And some lots of other fun stuff as well. And I did a nice drawing of uh, James Joyce himself at the uh, Green Street Bookshop buying Mm -hmm. the the dictionary, Mm -hmm. uh, the book of the language. The, yes, uh, yeah. being robbed by an Egyptian pharaoh. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I also wanted to mention, so usually I try to keep everything on the podcast Ulysses related, but um, a friend of mine from my time in Korea had a, a pretty bad accident. He had a pretty bad head injury and he needs some help with medical bills. So I'm going to put the GoFundMe in the episode notes if you'd like to help out my friend Nick. Uh, he lives in Bali. He had a fractured his skull, and he's in bad need of surgery and a lot of rehab, probably. So, mm. any any if you're feeling charitable in your heart today, uh, it would it would be great to kick him a few bucks because uh, every little little bit helps. They're trying to raise like thirty grand. Oof. So, um, if you could do that, that would would mean a lot to me and uh, you know other people that I care about. So. I will put that in our episode notes. And uh, if you're also feeling like donating, we always have the link up there to help out Sweeney's Pharmacy's Patreon as well. So uh, there are lots of opportunities to do good things for people in our world. Okay, um, moving on then. Let's talk about today's topic. And we're back on page 34 in Ulysses, which is in episode number two called Nestor. Uh, Dermot, do you remember what we, what we talked about previously? Is it DC? It's Mr. DZ! <laughs> and this is our last <sighs> Mr. DZ episode. Oh, God. I, now, he will, mentions of him will resurface in later episodes, but as far as full-on, full-frontal DZ. Mm. <laughs> the full Monty, so to speak. This mm. is the last one. Okay. How, how do you feel about that? I'm delighted. It really? feels like a cinder block. You know, he's kind of fun to, to do the voice and to draw, but I think they've had enough DC for, mm. for this cycle. I've had double DC, you know, because I had, last fall, I researched and wrote about all of these on our blog, mm. and now I'm podcasting them all through the summer. It's double DC. It is. And actually, um, just to, to fast forward to the present day, like all the stuff that DC is going on about Ulster, it's flared back up again in the mm-hmm. north of Ireland. There's been a lot of mm-hmm. incidents recently. So this thing that might seem like it's peripheral ancient history, it's it's still got some heartbeats left in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's kind of scary too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Absolutely. <laughs> so that a little bit too chipperly. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Mr. Deasy and Stephen were discussing the nature of history, and mm -hmm. Mr. Deasy said to Stephen, The ways of the Creator are not our ways, Mr. Deasy said. All human history moves towards one great goal, the manifestation of God. And last time we moved on from that uh, to talk about more anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. But I did want to circle back this time around because this little statement is connected to our topic today by an interesting response from Stephen. So what's Stephen's response? Stephen jerked his thumb towards the window saying, that is God. Hooray! I. What? Mr. DC asked. A shout in the street, Stephen answered, shrugging his shoulders. So, I'd like to talk... This is actually one of my favorite quotes in, in Ulysses. It is my internet handle on a variety of sites. A shout in the street. That's the name of our episode as well. Off the top of your head when you see this, what, what do you think Stephen means by a shout in the street? I assume there's some kind of hullabaloo going outside the window. There's a hockey game. So do you remember mm. all the, the boys clattering outside to play hockey? Not hurling, because... Right. That's for Catholics. This is a Lower class school. people, yeah. 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 So they're, the hockey game. Now, one thing, too, I, I only... You ever have this moment where something just kind of dawns on you that you should have realized mm -hmm. a long time before? Mm -hmm. Like the time I realized that the men's warehouse is a pun. Yeah. Because they spell it W-E-A-R and not W-A-R-E. Uh. <laughs> so it's like that, is that when Mr. Deasy says that all history moves towards one great goal, there's literally a hockey goal happening outside the window. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that is a really nice, subtle pun on James yeah. Joyce's part. Okay. So uh, I, that is delightful. But I, I, like, I like Stephen's response here. So what do you think? Did you have any thoughts on Stephen's well, comment here? Not so much on his comment, but on, on DC's comment. I think the last time we talked about this, we, we put some of it down to like Whig liberal mm -hmm. ideas of progress. But it's also an Aristotelian uh, teleological idea of um, like an end goal or an end state that mm -hmm. we're working toward. Uh, that we, so instead of focusing on the cause and effect from a point in the beginning, like the Big Bang, uh, Aristotle believed the world wasn't created, it was eternal, and it was moving toward a tele teleological or purposeful end. So it's also a, a very um, a theological mm -hmm. worldview. So DC could have a, you know, and it does, like he has a very religious worldview and probably a very a classical liberal worldview as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, Stephen basically gives that the middle finger uh, mm -hmm. and says all that fancy highfalutin Aristotelian whiggery is a bunch of young lads kicking the ball around the field, basically. <laughs> okay, so there, there are a couple thoughts on this I want to share. Uh, one source of Stephen's shout in the street that gets bandied about a bit is from Proverbs in the Bible. I'm not now, this might surprise you, but I'm not a very good Christian. Mm. So would you read this as Proverbs 1, 20 through 22? I think. So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Or we could call it Proverbs 1, colon, 20, hyphen, 22, colon. Okay. Anyway, you, you can find. I'm sure y'all have a, a Bible just like on on like arms reach right now. So this section of Proverbs from the Bible says, "Wisdom crieth without; she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, 
How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? One of my best friends was a Mormon, and I think that was one of his favorite passages, the scorners delight in their scorning, I think. He had a different, mm -hmm. interpre different interpretation of it, but yeah, very similar. Yeah, so, so I suppose this is possible. Because that, but this would also mean wisdom crieth without. I, I like that wisdom is a, is a mm -hmm. personified as a woman. She uttereth her voice in the streets. Here it's saying wisdom, but I guess you think wisdom and God are, are meant to be interchangeable? That true wisdom comes from God? Mm. Yeah. Because um, otherwise Stephen's saying that, that wisdom is, is the, getting a goal in hockey. Mm-hmm. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just letting the Bible wash over me. Okay, yeah, I, I don't. I've, this is there are a lot of little bits and pieces in Ulysses where someone will say it's clearly this quote from the Bible, mm -hmm. and I will often skip over that for this very reason. I don't have much to say about it. Mm. I like my feeling of this is I could see that. I have always liked this. The reason I like it is not because I'm a, a big Bible nut who can quote from Proverbs, but just. I like the idea of the recogni recognition of godliness found in the mundane. Yeah. Um, which I don't feel is a very Catholic worldview. Do you think that's fair? Because when I think of, like, high church stuff, it's all, like, grand cathedrals mm. and, you know, marble and stained glass and that yeah, kind of there's, thing. Yeah, there's... Well, my knowledge of Catholicism, actually, I got more of it from... Marxist writer Terry Eagleton, okay. who wrote a book called, I think, Reason and Faith or Reason and Revolution. And he said that because Irish people have been given such a horrendous version of Christianity mm. that they buy their atheism on the cheap. Mm. And it's easy to become an atheist if you're given Irish Catholicism because it's so disgusting. Mm. So what he did in that book was he then presented over several pages like the different his his exegesis mm. of the Catholic religion. And by the time you're done reading it, you go, oh, now I get it why people like this in the first place, you know, mm. before it became watered down and degenerate. Yeah. So there were, my understanding of Catholicism and Christianity is there are basically two versions, the, the optimistic one and the pessimistic one. And the optimistic strain, which is common in the early Christian period, was, hooray, Christ has risen, the world can be fixed, this is really good news, hence good news. Mm. And then the, the, the dominant strain is, oh, Jesus, the world is banjaxed and there's nothing you can do about it. And sure, aren't we all doomed and mm -hmm. everything's terrible and the, that's a fallen creation. And mm -hmm. so you get you get these two kind of different currents. So you could have a person who's a Christian mystic who would see the recognition of God in the mundane. But in general, I think most Catholics would have mm -hmm. a fairly dark, at least Irish Catholics, can't mm -hmm. speak for the Italians now, might be happier <laughs> a lot than we are, but... They, um, <laughs> in fact, I know they're a happier lot than we are. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's a very tragic kind of worldview that we have. Yeah, because it makes me think of in in Buddhism. There's a concept of that the the seeds of enlightenment exist in all living things. Yeah. So you end up with koans about the Buddha nature yeah. of a dog, yeah. and that that's some that's an uh, can you call that metaphysical? Yeah, metaphysical. It's an, it's William a Blake metaphysical too. Yeah. idea that really resonates with me. Right. Like William Blake, can you see eternity in a flower or a grain of sand mm -hmm. or whatever? Yeah. yeah. It's somebody who's had some sort of a religious revelation beyond the text. Yeah. But it, it's very hard to sell that from a pulpit. You know, mm -hmm. you, maybe they don't want people getting these mm -hmm. mad revelations. 
they used to have monasteries that we could not lock people up inside <laughs> when it happened to them, keep them safe from keep us safe from mm. them. Yeah. But yeah, the idea of a recognition of a divine presence in everyday objects really resonates with me. But mm. I don't, I just don't, I don't think it's particularly Christian idea. Uh, maybe Neoplatonic, like a, a lot of cr things that we we think is Christian, and this is where all the new atheists come off the rails. They start criticizing aspects of Christianity that are actually uh, Platonic. And they came into Christianity through Greek philosophy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Neoplatonic ideas and Aristotelian ideas happen to fit really well with Catholic or early Christian ideas. Um, because all you have to do is make a couple of tweaks. Mm -hmm. And hey, this all fits really nicely. So Neoplatonic ideas of, of, of unity and the one, and it's so perfect it begins to radiate out from itself. And we're at the lower level of the shell of radiations from the, the one. Uh, you can see why a, a Christian would have no problem with that. That's not going to get you into any kind of mm -hmm. heretical problems, really. You know? And St. Augustine was, as I understand, more of a, a Neoplatonist-influenced mm -hmm. philosopher. And that kind of gets forgotten uh, in the early Christian period as mm -hmm. you know, the middle, early Middle Ages kicks in. But that fingerprint was still on them. So you have these different currents to move through Christianity, like uh, Aquinas comes along and he's definitely an Aristotelian. Mm -hmm. So you have these, even within Orthodox Catholicism, you've got, uh, uh, you know, Thomist Dominicans and you've got anti-Thomist Franciscans and you've got, you know, these other groups. So I, I, I'm, I'm, this exhausts my knowledge of medieval, medieval Catholic theology, but it's mm -hmm. not a unitary thing. It's not mm -hmm. one thing. So I would be very hesitant about saying, but all I can say okay. is in Ireland, we weren't looking around finding God in daisies. You know, God was a fella up in the sky with his mammy, looking down, chronicling every time you had a wank or you did something rude. Throwing lightning bolts. Lightning bolts. Yeah, that was it was a folk religion. Mm -hmm. And for, for people who had a very simple view and very literal education of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's not until that gets back to Terry Eagleton. That's this the most basic uh, simplistic, simple-minded uh, view that a lot of us got. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the moral code came in, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. on top of that. But um, we weren't being taught theology. We weren't getting a Jesuitical right. education like this Joyce troublemaker was. You know, <laughs> he, he knew, they showed this guy some of the, they lifted the hood of the engine and showed him some of the moving parts and he clearly saw the moving parts. And so he had more of a basis to talk about it. Whereas mm -hmm. us, us gombeans down in Colchi land, we... We weren't told about any of that stuff. I had to read about this from Protestants, for God's sake. <laughs> so you often called Stephen Dedalus a terrible atheist. Do you think this makes Stephen a better atheist? Mm, no, it's just it's typical, like, snark. Yeah. You think he's being snarky? Here? Yeah, he's just being snarky. Yeah, he'd be on, he'd be on Reddit mm. today. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, yeah. So okay. he'd, he'd be talking about flying spaghetti monsters and... Yeah. Do you think yeah. the flying spading monster people are, are terrible atheists? They are awful atheists. Yes. <laughs> Please address any complaint letters to... Derm a atheism is one thing. Anti-theism is a different system. They're anti-theists. Oh. They're not atheists. That's true. Because so, Buddhism is atheistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not anti-theistic. They've never recovered from their awful childhood indoctrinations. This yeah. is how they lash out and... They have no tolerance for any kind of metaphysics. They don't want to talk about metaphysics. They ignore the fact that metaphysics mm. goes back to Aristotle. It's not Christian. It's Greek philosophy. If you have a problem with it, if you have a problem with these arguments, take it up with the ancient Greeks. That's a whole different kettle of fish from, from, from trying to go after some snake handler in Tennessee or, you know, or some priest who's done some kitty diddling. Very different 
category of argumentation. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch Aristotelians online getting into arguments about metaphysics, it's terrifying. They don't go after those guys because they know they don't have the chops. They're awful atheists. And, uh, you know, it, it involves a bit of homework. They're not doing it. All they want to do is find some poor simpleton and then mm-hmm. just face stomp them. And that's... that's <laughs> Come I will on. just say if you if you've listened to this and you don't like what Dermot is saying, go ahead and email me. I will surely delete it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, find him on social media, not me. Most of my favorite <laughs> sources of information are atheists, and, okay. uh, uh, including those on the history of the Catholic Church. So um, it's 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 just that I don't come loaded with a bunch mm-hmm. of an automatic like everything the church did was wrong and they were evil. And, Pope He's almost Hitler. like you have a more nuanced view of uh, this very complex yes, issue. Yes, yeah, it's not binary. I will say, too, I'm not totally throwing you under the bus. I, I endorse what you're saying. I'm allowing mm. it onto the podcast, but mm. uh, I just don't want to talk to people on email. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, my worldview can be... Anybody that wants to find out what where my worldview came from, um, there's a book written by Carol Quigley uh, in 1960 called The Evolution of Civilizations. Mm-hmm. And if you can find that book, and I think you can find the text online as a PDF, chapter four will explain to you why I think, what I do, and what was the the seed crystal for my entire worldview. All right. It's about the continuum. Dermot has a very smug look on his face. I do, I do. If you tell me right now that I was going to be given a mind wipe, and my brain was going to have to be rebooted. You go for Carol and I thought uh, that one chapter, not even the book, just that one chapter. chapter because four. he lays out in chapter four of that book about how all of our historical periods are imaginary. And mm-hmm. the vast majority, if not all of our ontological categories are imaginary. And all these people are running around beating the crap out of one another over categories that only exist inside their minds. And it's, it's, it's a question of being cont- whether you control the label you have to you have to apply these categories to the world to understand it, but that doesn't mean that you have to reify them and act like they're actual things in a real in a philosophically real sense. It's nominalism, which is not a medieval idea from Peter Abelard. It's the idea that you know these are these are most of the things in the world are just names, just names that we assign to this continuum of existence. So there's no dip from a tree to a shrub. There's a continuum. When's a shrub a tree? When is not a tree? One's a, one is an asteroid, a dwarf planet, and one is it a planet. There is a continuum between them. And at some point, the positioning of those categories is entirely in your mind, only in your mind. And that is that is how I apply now most of my thinking to everything. But I've been doing this for about 30 years now. So yeah. you have to train. So speaking of moving from one form to another, we've yeah. got a lot more topics. You might want, you might to, want to cut all that out. but um, Well, I mean... We'll see. Hmm. I probably won't, but I, I'm just trying to cr- create a, a segue into the bulk of the podcast, okay. which this is this part is a digression. Yeah. It's yeah. it's just the line that I like that I wanted to analyze more, which we've done. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Deasy's response, Stevens shout in the street, what what's <laughs> got over there? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Deasy responds. Mr. Deasy looked down and held for a while the wings of his nose tweaked between his fingers. Looking up again, he set them free. I am happier than you are, he said. We have committed many errors and many sins. A woman brought sin into the world. For a woman who was no better than she should be, Helen, the runaway wife of Menelaus, ten years the Greeks made war on Troy, 
a faithless wife first brought the strangers to our shore here, McMurrow's wife and her lemon, O'Rourke, Prince of Brefney. A woman too brought Parnell low. Many errors, many failures, but not the one sin. I am a struggler now at the end of my days, but I will fight for the right till the end. For Ulster will fight, and Ulster will be right. Okay. Any thoughts on that? Sounds like Churchill. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No spoilers. (laughs) All right. So this brings us into some girl stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're going to turn this into a girl podcast now. Okay. No. (laughs) Uh, First woman he points a finger at here. A woman brought sin into the world. Who would that be? Eve, of course. Eve, Yeah. yeah. yeah, of course. What did Eve do? Uh, she took a piece of a non-organic fruit from the snake and, uh, you know, gave it to her innocent husband. Mm-hmm. And what happened then? And we all got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And, and now women have to menstruate. And and have babies and, you know, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, original sin. Yeah. A concept I once explained to some Buddhist nuns and one of them responded, and you teach this to children? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. This is a pretty common story you know eve and the apple in the garden of eden and that's now why everything sucks because we got kicked out of paradise because a woman was tempted by the devil to eat an apple Mm -hmm. and then gave it to her man friend and god was angry because they ate from the tree of wisdom and he expelled them from the garden yeah it's in the bible so what does the bible actually say That, that was my question with this oh i'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that the Bible doesn't quite say that. Funny you should say that. So <laughs> I pulled some quotes from the Bible. We're gonna Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and Genesis three six so uh, says the following. It says and these are all from the King James version. So go, Dermot. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Uh, it's, I feel that this is, is neutral language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, after that, God gets pissed off and kicks him out. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Old Testament God was kind of angsty. A bit cranky. Angsty. Mm-hmm. How did you say that word? All right. But then I kept... Now, I kept looking for other quotes about where sin originated, And I found this in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So this here clearly says through one man Mm. sin entered the world. Girls don't even get a mention there. No Eve. Credit where credit's due, you know. So, okay. Well, then... What are you talking about, Mr. Deasy? Because it was through a man that sin entered the world. Mm. But, I mean, I suppose Eve still ate the apple, all this and that. Let's go to, I believe this is read as 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So, when this in modern English versions of this, this is basically saying Adam committed no sin, but the woman, who doesn't even get a name here... She was the transgressor because she was deceived by the serpent, mm. who is never referred to as Satan or the devil, mm. I, I believe. We have here three passages, one that seems kind of neutral, 
one that says it's through one man that sin entered the world, and a third that says, the, hey, the man had nothing to do with this. It was all the woman. Mm-hmm. In conclusion, it's easy to cherry pick the Bible to say what you wanted to say. Right. It's kind of what I walked away from this feeling like. There's probably deeper interpretations in all this I, I don't know about because I'm not a, a Bible scholar. Yeah. But I would say, and to all my fundamentalist Christian listeners, I would say. All two of them. <laughs> Goodbye. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Like, Eve wasn't a real person. She's a, a construct. Mm. And the way you view the story is, I think, probably a Rorschach test for how you view the world. Because I find it... I, I don't like the idea that sin entered the world through human beings' quest for knowledge or for, for wisdom. You know, they ate of the, the tree of knowledge... And that was where sin came from, is through the pursuit of knowledge. The only reading I've ever read of Genesis that made sense to me was mm-hmm. Daniel Quinn's Ishmael, mm-hmm. which was written around 1990, and in which he believes that the Genesis myth encodes a kind of a, a folk memory of the agricultural revolution from hunter-gatherers and pastoralists mm-hmm. to the agricultural revolution. Okay. And that's where the two brothers, Cain and Abel, one is tending sheep, but the other wants the land to grow his crops, mm-hmm. and he kills them for and that it was oh, wow. that's when humans become technology users and they really become locked in the cycle then of hierarchy and exploitation mm-hmm. and whereas as we all know the whole you know noble savage myth of Thur- of Rousseau and all that but it's it's been on for a long time that people who live in that kind of life are tend to be free of a lot of the vices that civilized people and mm-hmm. settled people have hunter gatherers so, hunter gatherers yeah. yeah so the hunter gatherer type people are you know much more in tune with the world and they're not you know, digging coal tan out of mines to make cell phones. They're just mm-hmm. living. They're not driving species to extinction. They're just living. And um, so anyway, that's mm-hmm. yeah, Daniel Quinn's reading of the text. And that finally, when I read that, okay. I thought, well, okay, that okay. reading makes se- more sense to me than any theological yeah. stuff I've read. Blew my mind a little bit. But there. the idea cool. is it's Promethean, you see. The mm. Lucifer, the snake, is the knowledge bringer. And in other cultures, too, you have the myth of Prometheus. Mm-hmm. He gets punished by having his liver ripped out forever. By an eagle every day, and then it, mm-hmm. it would regrow, and then the eagle would come back and tear it as yeah, liver. Yeah, lovely. Again. The Greeks, they want to be in a Greek hell. But uh, so in, in, that, in that reading as well, the snake is, is Prometheus. He's, mm-hmm. And Lucifer is the light bringer. He's giving mm-hmm. knowledge to humans the humans are not capable of handling. Yeah. Well, and Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, too, for, mm-hmm. you know, Disobeying God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in- independent thinking and knowledge seeking are, are punished. I'm not Bible. sure that's biblical, though. That's not biblical? Where did that come from then? That's uh, what I've always heard. I think it's just some it, floating around from, from the internet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Source of the internet. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm fairly sure a lot of the stuff that we think is said about Lucifer mm-hmm. does not exist in the Bible. It came in, uh, oh, I think okay. St. Jerome brought some of it in, in one of his translations. And again, I'm on very slippery ground here and I stand to be corrected. But I know a lot of it is just from folk traditions mm-hmm. and and um, extra biblical, extra texts, uh, whatever the word is. Uh, but it's outside of the body of the Bible itself. Oh, okay. And because uh, you know, cool. a lot of stuff was floating around the early Christian period with Gnostic mm-hmm. texts and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Too. All right. Cool. Did a woman bring sin, sin into the world, Dermot? What do you think? Maybe. But right. probably not. It was probably her husband, if I know anything about husbands. <laughs> no. Um, no, no, no. I, I mean, it's it's collective. You know, it's just mm-hmm. people. You know, I think yeah. it was, you know, it probably we had a few Lady Macbeths floating around and probably a few Lord Macbeths as well. So, 
All right. Well, S- Cersei Lannister and Jaime Lannister types. They're yeah. both kind of crappy. Yeah. Because people yeah. forget, man, he has his redemption arc, but he threw that kid out of a window. Yeah. Like, right away. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, that, that's how the book opens. Yeah. All right. Wrong book. So let's talk about the next one. For a woman who was no better than she should be, Helen, the runaway wife of Menelaus, ten years the Greeks made war on Troy. One of the few times that characters from the Odyssey get mentioned in Ulysses Mm. is Menelaus getting name-dropped here. Oh, okay. So Mr. Deasy really likes the phrase, a woman no better than she should be. Uh, He uses it here, and he also quotes it in his letter to the Cattle Traders Association. Remember that Mm -hmm. from a few episodes back? And And so Stephen's reading through this, and these are just little snatches of text that go through his mind. Pardoned a classical illusion. So Mr. Deasy's writing like, sorry for the classical illusion, but... And then Cassandra by a woman who is no better than she should be. So he feels that way about Cassandra as well. Mm. Who Do you remember who Cassandra was? Yeah, she was cursed by the gods to foretell the future and never be believed. Which... Greeks were good, man. That, that's, that's, that's like a great character summary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's also he's being mean to Cassandra too, which I, I, I don't really know what her sin would be. So let's get back to Helen, which is the name of my mother. Uh, Helen is known as the face that launched a thousand ships. She was the queen of Sparta and considered the most beautiful woman in the world. In probably the, the most well-known story of this, she, well, she was married to Menelaus and she ran away with her lover Paris of Troy, for which Menelaus then went to war uh, with a bunch of other Greeks to rescue Helen. So she then is blamed for starting the Trojan War, mm-hmm. and re- which resulted in a massive loss of life, a decade of war, and Odysseus getting hopelessly lost on his way home to Ithaca. And Menelaus as well. He spent a lot of time on Proteus's island. So here's the question. Was Helen really to blame? What do you think? I can only judge based on the recent TV show that I watched. And because that's not the original text, I'm... Which TV show is oh, There was a recent uh, TV movie. Uh, oh, really? Troy, yeah. Okay. There was a movie called Troy that had like... Oh, no, not that. No, it was a... Colin one, Farrell it was, and people uh, in it. No, God, that thing was awful. <laughs> um, no, it was a... I think it was a BBC or a co-production or something. And it was well done, but it was very depressing. Well, here's the thing they remember about Helen. Not a real person. She's a mythical figure. So she is as guilty as the storyteller wants to make her. And there are various versions of the Helen story um, where she was either seduced or kidnapped by Paris. It's a lot of them, actually. Mm. So in some stories, Helen is awarded to Paris by the goddess Aphrodite when I believe it was Aphrodite, Athena, and Hera had a, a contest and they wanted Paris to choose the most beautiful goddess and he chose Aphrodite and she awarded him Helen for picking her. If you follow Euripides version, he wrote a play called Helen and in his play, Helen was totally innocent. She didn't run away with anybody. The Helen that ran away with Paris was a phantom Helen sent to Paris after Athena learned that Aphrodite had cheated in that contest. So I would, you want a tisk? A twist. Oh, I said you, Shyamalan twist. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So the Helen story, much like the Eve story, I think is a a Rorschach test for Mm. 
whatever your opinions are of Helen. She again, both of these are not real women, mm -hmm. so we can project whatever we want onto them. Yeah. And there are varieties of of each story, as as well known as these myths are in our culture. Mm -hmm. So, Deezy says no better than she should be. So to which I say, Mister Deezy, if she's really so unremarkable. Why fight so hard for her in the first place? Case yeah. dismissed. Do these men have no will of their own? Mm. Wasn't that... it the men who set sail? You know, mm -hmm. Menelaus was a king. Mm. He, he he could get a new wife. Yeah, that, Several. That would have been the healthier thing to do. She didn't want you, man. Mm. Or she was kidnapped. Go save her. Yeah. Don't blame her, though. It's, it's some, like, first-rate victim blaming there. Mm -hmm. But... The, the version of the story you usually hear is she she was a, a hussy. She was stepping out on Menelaus and with Paris, and then they named a city after him. So yeah. that's how that went, right? Yeah. Like that, that. that big horse with all the guys in it. <laughs> Which, yeah. can we take an aside? Trojan condoms. Mm -hmm. The Trojan horse goes into the city of Troy, and then all the guys come out. Yeah. Can you think of a worse metaphor for a condom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You don't want all the guys to come out. That's the opposite of what you want. So, next one. <laughs> Are you okay with moving on? Yeah. A faithless wife first brought the strangers to our shore here. McMurrah's wife and her Lehman O'Rourke, Prince of Brethney. Oh, I call it Lemon. You did call it a lemon. It's, lemon's funnier, though. It might be layman. I, I don't know. A lemon, layman, or lemon, whichever mm. it is, L-E-M-A-N, is a husband. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is a little bit of Irish history, and it refers to a woman whose name is fairly hard to find, but it's either uh, Dervil or Dervla. I've heard it pronounced both. And she was the wife of Tiernan O'Rourke, who was the ruler of the kingdom of Brethney which is located roughly in the modern counties of Leitrim and Cavan in, in Ireland. Where, mm. where would you, how would you describe Leitrim and Cavan? Uh, peripheral. <laughs> uh, no offense to Leitrimites or Cavanites. Um, mm. Yeah, they wouldn't be the, the cultural hubs. Now, granted, you know, back in the time, things would have been totally different. Mm. But they're kind of, you know, like a bit inland and, yeah, they're... Wouldn't be like big ports or rivers, I think. So, Mr. D, and I'm I'm going to call her Dervla because that's what the the Irish History Podcast pronounced her name as, yeah. and he's really good. So I'm just going to assume he's yep. right. Yep. So, Mr. Deasy calls her the faith a faithless wife who brought the strangers to our shore. Do you know who the the strangers are? The Normans. Yeah, the English is is often hmm. with the stranger. I believe that. Stephen refers to Haynes as a stranger at one point. Poor Dervla, she was kidnapped by an evil man named Dermot McMurrah, mm. or Jermwidge McMarketa, mm -hmm. if you want to use the non-anglicized version. But we're going to say McMurrah because that's what Deasy says. It's just easier. Dermot McMurrah in 1152, who was the king of Leinster. Your name is Dermot, and you're from Leinster. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. My day will come. <laughs> but wait, this she was kidnapped, though. She was not a faithless wife. She was kidnapped by this guy. Mm -hmm. At which point, the High King of Ireland... So, O'Rourke is really angry now. The High King of Ireland steps in, and he took away all of 
Mechamara's titles and his kingdom as punishment for stealing another, you know, ruler's wife. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a party foul. It's a bit rude. It's a bit rude. Mm -hmm. So he is now dispossessed of all his lands and his fortune, so he's pretty unhappy. So Dermot Mechamara... Uh, gets in his boat and he solicits the English king, Henry II, for help recovering his lost lands. And in exchange, McMurrah offered his daughter to one of the powerful lords in England at the time. And she was betrothed to a man known as Richard de Clare, a.k.a. Strongbow, mm -hmm. who was a humble cider merchant. Oh. No, he was not. Oh. He led the Anglo-Norman invasion Force into Ireland at McMurrah's behest. I prefer the cider merchant story. Yeah, no, they. It's the that's when the Normans invaded Ireland because mm -hmm. this angry, dispossessed lord. Yeah, that's like the Irish equivalent to 1066. Really, yeah. it's that's when. Yeah, the, yeah. And the declares were very powerful within mm -hmm. Britain. Anyway, so you can see how this is Sturvelis' fault. Mm -hmm. You can see how this is woman's fault. Obviously, right? she was kidnapped. She should have not <laughs> been kidnapped. So. Like, before we just say, what did the Bible say? Well, what do the annals say? There are all these annals of medieval Irish history. So there's one called the Annals of the Four Masters. And the way they describe it is that she was, quote unquote, brought away. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's like I said with the Genesis, it's kind of neutral language. It's not really tilting one way or the other. Right. So let's go to the, the Annals of, of Clon McNoise, which you, you should read. In our, our post on this, because it's it's there's some great old old timing, old timey spellings in here, and they say the king of Leinster took the lady, Darvel, and kept her for a long space to satisfy his insatiable carnal and adulterous lust. The beast. The king of Leinster again read Dermot McMurrah, and then we get okay. So again, she's kidnapped by this creep, mm -hmm. and he does a bunch of unpleasant things to her. Then we get to Gerald Cambrensis, or Gerald of Wales, if you're not feeling very Latin. And here's what he says. He says, The lady was abducted by the aforesaid Dermot, who had long been burning with love for her and took advantage of her husband's absence. No doubt she was abducted because she wanted to be, and since woman is always a fickle and inconstant creature, she herself arranged that she should become the kidnapper's prize. He later goes on to say, almost all the world's most notable catastrophes have been caused by women. Now, who said that? That would be Gerald, Gerald of Wales. Oh, okay. So that guy can go eat a big, giant bowl of butts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nicer than when I wrote in my notes about him. <laughs> He's famous for being, I think, one of the first travel writers. He wrote, oh, okay. a, he wrote a travel book of our, about Ireland. How to avoid women. Yeah, like how, or they to, are evil. <laughs> how to avoid the perils of Hibernian females. Yeah. So I feel reading this that if you want to make her out as an evil woman, it's it's even requires more contortions than the first two, mm -hmm. especially because she is a real person like that. This was a thing that actually happened. Mm -hmm. And his... No doubt she was abducted because she wanted to be. Please go straight to hell, Gerald of Wales. Do a quick side. See what he was writing. Gerald of Wales. So, oh, he was writing. So he was alive at the time. Okay. So I was just curious to see, was he writing like a century after, in which mm -hmm. case his you know, thing would be very dubious indeed. All right. 
not it's a new segment in our show called Dermot Googles things. No, we can please cut no, that. No, he out. was a he was a contemporary writer. Yeah, he was contemporary. Yeah. Oftentimes you see somebody writing around the vent, we think they're contemporary, you look them up and they were writing 150 years after and they might as well be talking about their bones. So. Right. No, I think he was just a jerk. Like he, It seems like he does a lot of editorializing and what's, you know, you would think is a, histori- no, 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 it's a no. historical chronicle. He chronicles, you decide. <laughs> all, the, all, the, <laughs> all the history that's fit to chronicle. Full <laughs> uh, Pez news. Okay. Little laughing joke. Let's move on. A woman to brought Parnell low. So Charles Stuart Parnell. This is his first, I think, name drop in Ulysses proper. Mm-hmm. Um, who is Charles Stuart Parnell? Uh, hero of the Irish Home Rule movement. Mm-hmm. Tried many times to achieve Home Rule for Ireland. And I think would have been on the brink of achieving it had he not been brought low by uh, a, a perfidious woman. Mm. Mm. Okay. So Charles Stuart Parnell, to add to what you said, in the eight, he was a very popular politician in the 1880s. Uh, he lived right up the road from Dermot. And, right? In Avondale. In Avondale. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, so he was an advocate for Ireland in British Parliament in the 1880s. Um, home rule was a big issue of his. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also very involved in tenants' rights, even spending some time in Kilmainham Jail for encouraging tenants to not pay rents when they were too high. So you can guess he was probably very popular in Westminster. Mm. So the woman who brought Parnell though is Catherine, a.k.a. Kitty O'Shea, and she was wife of an MP from Galway named Captain William O'Shea. In 1889, Captain O'Shea filed for divorce, claiming his wife had been unfaithful and naming Parnell as the man in question. So Parnell's end was really sealed when Mrs. O'Shea admitted in court to her infidelity, uh, which made her and Parnell legally recognize adulterers. Which today would mean he'd probably win the nomination for the presidency. <laughs> but that, back uh, then it was a big shock, wasn't it? Well, because of this, it was, this was a huge, huge scandal in the 1880s. Mm. And Parnell's party disavowed him shortly after. Um, And the following year, he did something even more scandalous, which was to marry O'Shea. Mm -hmm. And uh, at which point the Irish Catholic bishops uh, also disavowed him. Uh, His political career came to a screeching halt and he died the year after in 1890. So it's it's a very sad end to really a a man who represented a lot of hope for for Ireland in, in Parliament. And they're very modest. I mean, historians are pretty much in agreement that all the mm-hmm. home rule bills that they came mm-hmm. so close to getting would have been very weak sauce mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of uh, national autonomy. We still would have been, basically it would be like Wales today yeah, or Scotland today, not even that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but even that was too much for some back mm-hmm. then. So do you think that Kitty O'Shea is to blame for all of this? No. Because men have free will. Yeah. I would call this an it takes two to tango mm-hmm. situation. As Homer Simpson once said, it takes two to lie, Marge, one to lie, and one to listen. <laughs> so uh, a few things to know. So that that's kind of the, the official story. There's a few things to know to really, I think, fully understand the their situation. Which, first of all, is that their relationship was an open secret that mm-hmm. had gone on for 
years, like a very long time. I can't remember the exact number. But not only did the sitting Prime Minister William Gladstone likely know that they were having an affair, but it seems that probably Captain O'Shea knew as well. Mm. His wife wasn't happy. Uh, a divorce would be a scandal. So they just kind of went with it. Or maybe they were, I don't know, maybe they are just super open-minded. No, no. I, I guess, I'm guessing O'Shea probably wanted to move on. Yeah. Um, he couldn't compete with Parnell's giant beard. Well, the the thought is that this went on as an open secret for years and that Parnell's enemies um, on the other side of the aisle kind of put O'Shea up to it mm -hmm. because Parnell was very influential and he was pushing policies that the, the Tories didn't like. Um, so the... Yeah, this, this was a way... they of killing home rule without going for it directly they discredited parnell who was its main um proponent and that the bill tanked as a result mm. nobody wanted to touch it after that yeah, that's victorian humbug moral humbug but you know what all of this i think took place in the context of men because it was men who quietly condoned this affair and it was the men who went out of their way to drag it into the light and it was men who wanted to see parnell brought low you know it's, it's not like Kitty O'Shea didn't have a part in it, mm -hmm. but I think she gets blamed for a lot of political machinations that likely she had nothing to do with. They got, I mean, they got married right after. It wasn't exactly tawdry, you know, right. um, in my mind. So this last little bit here, too, is that where DZ says, for Ulster will fight and Ulster will be right. Do you want to say that more? <laughs> DZ. For Ulster will fight. And Australia will be right. Uh, this is a quote from Lord Randolph Churchill, father of that Churchill, Winston. Mm. And he he was a conservative politician. And this this was said by him either in a speech or in a letter in 1886 uh, on a trip to Ulster, uh, in which he took to oppose home rule. I feel like I'm going to get these details wrong, but... Basically, Gladstone was the liberal prime minister, and he came into power without quite a, a majority in parliament. Um, so Parnell, who was very popular, was working on getting him a majority in the House of Commons. That was like Parnell's thing at this right. time. Uh, Churchill was a, a conservative uh, who strongly opposed home rule. And so he did kind of, I think, what conservative politicians in Britain have done recently, which is when you don't have a majority, you go stir up the Ulster Protestants. Mm -hmm. So he went up there and said, if you don't support us, these, you know, this Parnell clown is going to get in there and they're going to... Force your children to be eaten Eucharists and become <laughs> papes. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're going to get this home rule thing through on and on and on. And so this quote became kind of a rallying cry for the anti-home rule unionist crowd. And so DZ's dumping it in here to, on you know, and this, the the space between the, the part where he talks about the Orange Order, and the part where he talks about Parnell, like, in Blooms and Barnacles time have spanned a couple of months, but in the book time that's just a couple of pages. So I think this is is really a callback to his other claim that the Orange Order supported O'Connell before the, the bishops did, mm. which is not true. Mental. 
And I think a lot of the history he quotes here, actually, I would say follows along the lines of the quote unquote official story. But they're all stories that when you dig into them, it is men who had, I would say, almost all, if not most, if not all power in every one of these situations, blaming their poor decision making on, you know, some woman who probably didn't have a lot of control over the situation. Latherins repeat for like all of Western history, mm-hmm. uh, a woman who's no better than she should be. You know, um, these women, they don't know their place. They're just messing everything up. They're ruining everything. All history's catastrophes, as Gerald of Wales said, um, are because of women. And I think a lot of powerful men believe this for a long time. Well, this thing went completely pear-shaped. That's not our fault. That's her fault. That woman over there. Get mm-hmm. her. You know? Yeah. Well, um, Randolph Churchill might, may well have been prime minister, but for the tiny problem of his syphilis. Oh. And it was eaten through, through his brain before the end. So I guess he could blame not being prime minister on the prostitute he had sex oh, with. Yeah. And it wasn't stopping, I guess, conservatives from going after Parnell, in spite of the fact that everyone with the dogs in the street would have known that Randolph had been, you know, mm. syphilitic. Mm. And clearly it was post-marital because Winston didn't have it, you know, mm. and his wife didn't have it. They, they probably would have kicked in after, you know, mm. this connubial relation ceased. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's full of humbug. King Edward, the whatever, the whatever Edward was king during the First World War, was known to be having an affair with the wife of one of the soldiers, who uh, officers who ended up being killed in a, one of the, you know, more brutal battles. And again, an op- open secret, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they pick and choose what they get to be outraged about, depending mm-hmm. on whether it's politically convenient to them. Luckily, we don't do that anymore. We well, all of our politicians nowadays are squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. We don't have any more. No, sex they're scandals. they're completely consistent mm-hmm. in the way they they apply their their moral <laughs> principles, and they would never flip those to attack the other side. They would never, never. be hypocritical in that never, way. Never, yeah. never. Yeah, we've moved on. Progress mm-hmm. is real. Yeah. yeah, we're not we're not cyclical at all. Global history mm-hmm. marches forth towards in a perfect one great line goal. toward heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, the movie Young Winston's great fun if anybody wants to to okay. watch based on uh, Winston Churchill's uh, memoirs of his youth, which is also a really enjoyable book. Mm-hmm. The man might have been a monster, but he could really write beautifully. And the movie is superb as well. It's great fun. Right. I can get into all that Victoriana stuff more, uh, like any English person. Mm-hmm. It's tremendous. It's like, oh, I say, chaps, time for a cup of tea and some slaughter. You know, they, they're... <laughs> Okay. And, and, and the portrayal of Randolph is, is really interesting as well. Okay. I would, I'm glad I don't have him as a dad. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we have anything else we want to add to this? No. I'm... So Mr. DZ has some pretty awful views about women's role in history. Mm-hmm. To add to his awful views about Jewish people and Catholics mm. and Irish history and, and the Orange Order. Yeah. And everything. And everything. Thus ends Nestor. So this will be our last podcast on the Nestor episode. Oh, okay. So that means our next one is the ineluctable modality of the visible and oh, the diaphan. And... God. Mm. Every pebble on Sandy Mount Strand described in its likeness. A lot. Corpucescence and divine yeah. trivialities. Of really? Something I think he describes other. seaweed more than, than anything. Mm-hmm. So we have to talk about like Aristotle and stuff. Okay. I've avoided a lot of the Aristotle. Tarkovsky had a thing for algae fronds. Okay. Yeah. Well. And water. And Buck Mulligan's favorite 
poet was Algernon Swinburne, who he called Algy. That's deep. Yeah, I've, I've seen that in interpretations of the seaweed descriptions in Proteus. <laughs> so, all right, that's the level of, of free analysis. Asso- free association. Yeah, that you get from us when we're recording <laughs> late. Okay, well, we've talked for an hour, so that's when we stop talking. All right. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Tuck yourselves in the bed and put on your jammy jams, because <laughs> blooms and barnacles coming to an end. We'll see you in two weeks. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Please visit our website at bloomsandbarnacles.com to read our blog, which is updated weekly on Mondays with a new blog post and artwork about James Joyce's novel Ulysses. And you'll find a new podcast there as well, Fortnightly. We are on Facebook. You can search for our Facebook group, Blooms and Barnacles Podcast, on Facebook. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at BarnacleCast. You can find our podcast pretty much any place you find podcasts. That includes iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Go ahead and subscribe, and you won't have to remember which week we're dropping the podcast. Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes as that helps our rankings and helps people find the podcast. And if you leave a positive review, we'll read it on the podcast. Finally, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is through email. You can email us at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. Please send questions and comments, and we'll read them on the show if we get any good ones. Until then, have a great two weeks. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.